pop, creak, squeak, squeaky squeak. (laughs) Would you please open your Bible to Romans chapter 1. And let's pray. Oh Lord God, as we come to your word now and we want to come and sit at your feet and listen and learn from you, we pray, Lord, that we would be able to do so without distraction. pray, Lord, that you would bring uh, that healing that we need. And we pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be wholly acceptable to you. Amen. Well, today's message is going to sting. It may be hard for you to pay attention. Harder still to to process all the insinuations and applications. Harder still to, to accept its relevance and application for each of us personally. Nothing keeps people away from Christ more than their inability to see their need of him or their unwillingness to to admit it. So that's why I know there's going to be a lot of shuffling of papers and, and coughing and squeaking happening this morning. But let's now turn to God's word and listen as I read Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who's blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, 
disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We cannot grasp the good news without identifying the bad news. You have to diagnose the problem before you can apply the remedy. And the bad news is, every person in the world is deeply broken. And the worst part of it is, every person is subject to God's wrath. We're going to sing Amazing Grace after I finish speaking. It's perhaps our most cherished hymn. So familiar to us that we easily become numb to its profoundly disturbing message. You know the first line by heart. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Pause the way. Who, me? A, a wretch? Well, that, that's, that's John Newton. He, he was a slaver. I'm not a slaver. Why are you being so negative? Well, we, we'd rather live in the self-delusion that compared to others, we aren't all that miserable. But here is the sobering news. If we could see ourselves the way the holy living God sees us without Christ, strip away the mask and the pretense, it is not a pretty picture. No matter how good you think you are, it's not until you know that you are condemned before him that you can begin to understand how amazing his grace really is. Grace is only a sweet sound once you hear what a world of hurt we are all in. You might still be wondering, why do we ask the children to leave the sanctuary uh, for this morning's message? It's not because I'm going to say something un-PC like homosexual behavior is a sin. It is a sin. There, There, I said it. I'm either preaching to the choir or by saying that, that's enough for you to think that that's hate speech. But either way, that is not my point today. Nor is it the main reason the children have been asked to step out this morning. No, my duty isn't to convince you that there are many sexual disorders in the world, both GLBTQ and twisted heterosexuality that are known as sin in the Bible. No, the the main reason the children aren't here is because Paul's passage, chapter 1, 18 to 32, is about the fact that God is really angry with us. He is justly furious, and we have run out of excuses. Paul lays out the depravity of Gentiles in this passage, and in the very next passage that Pastor Annie will look at next week, he drops the hammer on self-righteous, moralizing uh, people of the Jewish persuasion. So all those are saying, oh yeah, stick it to him, Paul. Next week, he says, oh, and by the way, you're all in the same boat. 
The bad news of the first three chapters of Romans is that God's wrath is being revealed against all people. That we all have fallen short. Nobody gets a pass. And our kids shouldn't hear the plain truth at uh, turned up to volume 11 like that. And they shouldn't have to see their parents and loved ones squirm in their seat as we say, well, no, he's not talking about me, is he? And as we hear and feel and are impressed upon by the Holy Spirit who wants to do soul-cracking, adjusting, orthodoxing work in our spirit. Friends, we've made a fatal exchange. And but by the grace of God, we will pay. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The wrath of God. Now there's a very un-PC doctrine that you won't often hear about. Not politically correct. You won't hear it in most Presbyterian churches, but there it is. That God's God has a personal fury against evil and its byproduct, which is sin. So verse 17 last week, why is God's saving righteousness revealed only to those who come empty-handed to him by faith? Answer, because God is angry at everyone else in the world. Well, why is God so angry? Is it our irreverence? Or immorality? Is Paul being a moral police officer here? No, Paul's being a pastor here. And he says it's both, but he says fundamentally, it's that we, verse 18, suppress the truth. God is furious with blasphemous, wicked sin that most clearly expressed itself in in our fallen human nature. And that expression most clearly most prominently is the fact that we suppress the truth that God is God and he is the creator God, the sustainer of the universe, that we just deny that. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. The atheist is without excuse. And to say, well, I'm agnostic. That's not as bad. I just, I'm just not sure. Paul's saying that's worse. Because you're admitting that he's giving you evidence, but you're still not sure. Paul says, look at creation. Look at nature. Look at the ocean. Look at the sky. Look at a caterpillar. Look at your own hand and how it operates. God is God. Yet what can be known about God, that is, without our old King James Bible, is plain. God is invisible, but his fingerprints, his goodness, God's eternal power and divine nature are everywhere. The Latin word here for clearly perceived is the root for our English word conspicuous. God is conspicuous. Every moment in time and space, 
God is manifesting himself and his glory through that thin wisp of a veil. So next, Paul lays out the pathology of second commandment forbidding, uh, second commandment forbidding idol worship that emerges. This next section, he's going to talk about idols. So verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. At the heart of the human condition, Paul diagnosed the fatal exchange. That humankind rejected God, refuses God, and then replaces God with all kinds of idols. All kinds of trinkets that we carry around, physically or, or, or mentally, to take God's place. And notice Paul doesn't call them sinners. He doesn't say, look at all those sinners, like a church lady. What does he call them? He calls them fools. What would be more foolish? What would be more goofy than swapping honoring God with honoring a totem pole? What would be more foolish than that? That is the fatal exchange. Exchanging worship of the creator for idols. For truth and what is real for a lie. For what is natural for unnatural lust of their hearts to impurity, he writes. And imagine as he writes that, he's, he's trembling. The root of all our sin problem is idolatry, which means worshiping anything that isn't the living God, making good things, ultimate things in your life, fashioning a deity to your liking, whether it's in the shape of, of a totem pole or a raven or what have you, it becomes an idol. And three times Paul writes, God's response is that God gave them over to the consequences of disordered worship, or put another way, disordered desire. The behavior and attitudes described in the rest of the passage aren't the root of the problem, but the result of this fatal exchange. In every instance, the giving up is a consequence of idolatry, of breaking the second commandment. You know, the, the, the worst thing that can happen to a fool is to allow them to continue to play the fool. You're in a public place and you see someone doing something incredibly foolish. And you, you want to try to help them out. And, no, just let's see how this plays out. But, but not out of some twisted curiosity. God allows things to unfold. God says, if you want to sin, go ahead and sin. And now that is living in hell. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. The first example Paul uses to describe how disordered passions are manifest in human behavior 
is to talk about homosexuality, what we call GLBTQ, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgendered, and queer. The apostle is unambiguous about it. I gave an hour-long presentation at Gaithersburg Presbyterian Church some months ago as that church family was in the midst of a feud over this delicate, painful subject. I'm not about to spend an hour talking it through with us here. But I will borrow a line from Louis Giglio, a pastor in Atlanta, who has done more than I know of anyone in our country to raise awareness and to put a stop to human trafficking and sex trafficking in places like India, who was invited and then uninvited to, to offer a prayer. He wrote this. In all things, the most helpful thing I can do is to invite each of us to wrestle with Scripture and its implication for our lives. God's word trump all opinions, including mine. Many of us have family and friends and neighbors and doctors and teachers and church friends who are gay or who struggle with homosexual feelings. I know evangelicals want to be known as lovers, not as homophobics. But the word of God, not just cherry-picking passages, but the whole testimony of Scripture condemns homosexual behavior and prizes sex within the boundaries of marriage between a man and a woman. It isn't condemning just rape or just prostitution, not only perversion acting contrary to one's natural orientation, but inversion as well, acting in line with one's orientation. It includes monogamous, neighbor next door, not hurting anybody, the nicest person you'd ever meet. All of them, all of us, are included in all of Romans 1, 18 to 32. As is the case with premarital sex or extramarital sex, straight or gay, even between consenting adults, it dishonors God's design. Now, that's 207 words on a hot-button subject. And if that is enough for you to get up and want to leave the church or send me an anonymous note, so be it. Human sin is not confined to sexual sin and disordered affections. But Paul calls that out, and then Paul now lists a whole category of evil common to man as a result of the fatal exchange. And I could go through each point in the list, take 10 minutes, 5 minutes, even a minute for each one. But for quite honestly, if I were to do that, it would make me sick to my stomach. So I'm just going to read it again to you. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy. Murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. You have to be pretty jacked up to try to think about inventing more ways to be evil. Disobedient to parents, foolish, 
faithless, heartless, ruthless. If I could go through Paul's entire list without feeling pangs of my conscience, I would be a sociopath. I don't know about you, but if you don't see your, yourself in this list somewhere, and you don't feel that weight. A debased mind is the opposite of a Philippians 4, 8, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, beautiful kind of mind. The moral chaos of the world, everything in our front page or the 10 o'clock breaking news is visible evidence here and now of wrath. Just look at how messed up the world is, Paul says. Empty of God, we are godless, loveless wretches. And all hell is breaking loose. And he ends it with verse 32. And he says, the worst of it, the worst of the worst, are those who know better, yet spit in God's face, the message version, and praise others who do the same. Quote, though they know God's righteous decrees, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Do you give approval? Friends, be aware of your acceptable sin. Those are the sins that are going to kill you. you say, well, it's not so bad. Those are the ones that will kill your spirit. And when society caves into a particular sin and twists the gospel to defend uh, its enlightenment, that vice will become a canker on the soul of society and will eventually ruin it. But what you can do is stop accepting your acceptable sin. Whatever it is. Whatever it is that you commit and just say, well, I'm fine. No harm done. It's a pretty bleak picture. Pretty miserable. And and that's the tone that I'm using because that's what we're getting here out of Romans 1. Pretty wretched. Paul says all this is as I've tried to do so that you would be deeply convinced that there is absolutely no alternative way of escape until you hear the good news of Christ. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've come to call the righteous. Uh, the, the, I've, I've come not to call the righteous, excuse me. That is those that are self-righteous. But I've come to call the sinner. Only a people trusting Jesus, humbled by this reality will properly appreciate amazing grace and live in harmony with one another righteously by grace and reach out with humble urgency to a needy world, not pointing a finger of condemnation, but reaching out hands of love because we know Christ is our only hope. Giving them over I'll be quick to add, does not mean that God gives them up. The Bible has another yucky list of of fools in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul was in Corinth when he wrote this list. So these are the 
the, the sins that he calls out of the people that he knows personally. He calls them out. He calls them all sorts of terrible things. But then he says, that's what some of you once were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only remedy for what you already deep down know is true about who you are, myself included. So stop accepting acceptable sin and stop loving your own sin and stop suppressing God's truth and look in the mirror and get right with God. In just a moment, I'm going to invite us to stand and sing Amazing Grace. You won't need to look at the hymnal. You know the words by heart. But would you join me in honest self-examination? How am I out of order? How is my heart disordered before God? In what ways do I think my ungodly behavior is acceptable? God's amazing grace, the outstretched love of Jesus who agonized on the cross for us and rose victorious from the grave, saves us from all the lies and all the shame and all the guilt. That is amazing, amazing grace. You please stand and let's sing together Amazing Grace. Many dangers.
lift our voices and sing when we've been there. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we know less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Please be seated and join me in prayer. Lord, we acknowledge that we love to sing of your amazing grace, but often forget that we have been found in a state of lostness, that you have helped us to see, but we were blind, and that we all are on equal ground, on the same level before the cross. We have exchanged the goodness of your love for idols of our own making. We have substituted ourselves for you and separated ourselves from you. But we are thankful that when we are at the foot of the cross, we are invited to remember the wonderful exchange of our poverty for your riches, of our unrighteousness for your righteousness. When you substituted yourself for us on the cross and died that we might have life. We pray that you would help us find the specific applications for our own lives of how we might live in your truth. The Lord Jesus prayed for us, saying, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And he prayed that as he was sent from you into the world, he sends us. And so we pray that as we are sent, we might be made holy in the truth. In spite of our need and our affliction, which we lift before you. Especially we lift up this morning one who is traveling to Texas to begin schooling. We pray for one who is suffering from a skin condition. We pray for, again, for those who are traveling to India to minister with others who are suffering deeply. We pray for one among us who is going through a difficult time, a death in the family, for one who is struggling to make right decisions for his children, who needs strengthening of his faith and asks for the removal of anger and bitterness out of his life. O oh Lord, we all lift up that prayer. We pray for one who is seeking housing and provision for a family who is grieving the loss of a loved one after a fight with cancer. And for Kathy Harborough, who's about to undergo surgery, that your healing hand would be in her treatment, restoring her to full health. And for all of us who are in need of your remedy, not only for physical healing, but for spiritual as well. We pray the prayer that your Son taught us, 
saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This time I'll invite the ushers to come forward and collect our tithes and offerings as we respond to the gift of God's grace in each of our lives. <laughs> 